if you're around on Sunday mornings or part of a church or part of a tradition, maybe you know about this thing called Advent. Uh, first uh, four weeks of, or sort of four Sundays leading up to Christmas uh, constitute historically for the church this season called Advent during which the church has historically done primarily two things, sort of walk in the, the shoes, the feet, uh, the life of the Jewish people who for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years looked forward to a Messiah, the Messiah who would save them or restore uh, Israel. And then, so we sort of do that during Advent uh, as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus and really prepare for that. We also uh, do this other journey where we're looking forward in hope to the coming again of Messiah, of Jesus, and all that sort of wrapped up into Advent for the church historically. So uh, that's the season. It's characterized by reflection historically, by practices of generous generosity toward those who are poor in particular. Uh, uh, it's characterized by confession historically and by even fasting, not feasting, but fasting. And so obviously the church, at least historically, has been on one path uh, during these weeks, four weeks or so before Christmas, and our culture lives in or exists on or practices a completely different path during the, uh, during the four weeks or so that lead up to Christmas. In fact, the culture sort of begins like as soon as, even before Thanksgiving dinner is cleaned off of the table, sort of the ball is rolling. For Costco, it's September, even August, gets that ball rolling. And so there are these two narratives that are happening at the same time in our world. One kind of what the historical church has tried to practice, and this other one that the world is doing. And most of us live with a foot in each territory, in each place, in each land, in each world. Most of us here probably grew up in the church in some way, shape, or form. Uh, kind of that subculture, we also grew up in the culture of uh, at large that's doing all of these other things. And we've lived, I think, kind of in between worlds, which can be confusing in some ways. We live in both worlds, inevitably, almost inev unavoidably. And this can be, I think, confusing on a subconscious level. For example, and I want to take you on a short tour right now of my street, the street that my family and I live on, uh, sharing with you some photos from my street uh, this week, starting at the end of the street. Here we go. So we got Charlie Brown and Snoopy around a Christmas tree. We're just going to walk through these. We got next in line is the big bear, right? Big teddy bear. He's huge. You can't tell in the picture, but he's about eight feet, 12 feet. High. And then this dude, the Grinch, right? Somebody's got him in front of their house. Next. And then this, I don't know if this is one of the minions in particular. We got a minion fan there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't know if this is a special minion, but one of the minions. All right, next. It's literally going down my block. Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse. Yeah, I was looking for the skirt. Can see it there. Mickey and Minnie next to Snowman. Uh, uh, Papa Moose and two baby mooses or deer, moose, moose, mice, right? Next. And then we've got Mrs. Gingerbread or Gingerbread Woman and Gingerbread Man looking fancily dressed. And snow, uh, of course, Santa, right? Santa. 
and this is literally going down my block, a penguin, right? A penguin, of course. Naturally, penguin. And then the, the uh, polar bear who looks like he's sort of grieving that his uh, glacier is shrinking. <laughs> and then uh, sort of about two-thirds of the way down our street is this classic nativity scene with Mary and Joseph and some magi and a couple of shepherds. Uh, but interestingly, off to one side are some deer. And then, no kidding, on the other side is a huge pelican. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so, but that's the nativity scene on our street, which is really cool. And then uh, getting closer to home, it's the, the Christmas turtle, of course, right? And then sort of on the other side of the yard, his friend, the turtle, right? I love those. They're kind of my favorites. And then, uh, and then the deer skeleton. And then, and then uh, this is actually, this is actually turned to, in all, all candor, I couldn't pass on this one, but you have to get to the end of my block and then turn and go about 50 feet to see the Christmas alligator. Okay, Christmas alligator, love that. Dragon, what's oh, that dragon? Oh, forgive me. And then, and what is this one? The Christmas unicorn, of course, Christmas unicorn. And then I think last but not least, I mean, I'm probably missing out on pop culture. Is that something? Okay, Nightmare, Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay, somehow I passed, uh, missed on that one. So that was, and, this, and this is what I call uh, the Christmas menagerie. <laughs> is that generous? I was, I was going to, yeah, the Christmas menagerie. Uh, a kind of this collective, a menagerie of Christmas. And it's all fine. And fun, it's a lot of, and it's a lot of fun. It's interesting every time I drive down to kind of remember and think about until someone gets hurt. <laughs> of course, no one gets hurt, but imagine that someone from another planet or someone with no context or cultural awareness lands on my street or almost any street in America or sort of lands from up there, out there in Hillsdale Mall or any mall in our country. Or they just plop down in front of a TV during the week uh, leading up to Christmas. What do you think they might think or wonder about our world and about reality? What do you think they would assume was important, true, or real to the people on my street or my world? What really matters, what counts, what's important? There's so many different characters now associated with Christmas in our culture. The ones displayed on my street represent only some of them. There may be there are different ones or additional ones on your block. There are lots of others. And one might get the impression that they are all created equal because we're trying to be a created equal world and society and nation. One household has an affinity for the polar bears, another for Snoopy, another for Charlie Brown, another for Mickey Mouse, another for Minnie, another for the Grinch. Uh, any homeowner or home liver can pick the character they're liking, and they do. And the subconscious message could be that they can all be fun or enjoyable or interesting or whatever, and that they are all equally valid expressions of this holiday or this season or reality or truth. But are they? I would say no. In history, and in character, one is superior to all of the rest. Though we may subconsciously forget this because in some ways they are all presented in some, in front yards and in our culture as all equally, all on the same plane. But Jesus is different. Jesus is unique in the menagerie. 
Unlike most of the others, Jesus actually walked and talked in history. Unlike most of the others, Jesus was a historical figure. Biblical, extra-biblical sources both agree and are crystal clear about that. And yes, Santa has his origins in the historical figure of St. Nick or St. Nicholas uh, back in the early centuries of Turkey, a Greek uh, bishop. And yes, Santa had, uh, was known for being generous and of giving gifts and sometimes of secretly giving gifts and goodwill, but he never made the sorts of claims that Jesus made about himself or that were made about Jesus by his contemporaries and by his followers and by people even who didn't follow him and weren't fans with regard to miracles, with regard to character, with regard to his divinity, and so forth. In the modern menagerie of Christmas, Jesus stands alone. And I just think on this evening, in the culture that we live in, and on the block in which I live, that that's worth simply noting and identifying. This afternoon, we've read again the story of Jesus' birth and a little bit of what comes before it and a little bit of what comes after it, and most of us know it pretty well anyway. We know that story, which contributes to some of Jesus' uniqueness among all people who have ever lived, as well as among the Christmas menagerie. But in addition to all of that, listen, listen to how Jesus of Nazareth himself described his mission and purpose at his public teaching debut recorded in the fourth chapter of Luke's gospel from which we read earlier the rest of the Christmas story in contrast to maybe the mission or the purpose of others in the menagerie and others not, Jesus said. He said the spirit, and think of this in the context of my block, my street, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor Think about the menagerie. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Over the course of his public ministry, Jesus further distinguished himself from the Christmas menagerie and every person who had ever lived before and after by teaching all who would listen that more important than anything else was to love God with all of one's heart, mind, soul, and strength to love one's neighbor as one loves oneself, to do to others as you would have others do to you. No one had ever taught that before in history. To do to others as, others, as you would have others do to you, to treat strangers with mercy rather than judgment, to love, pray, and serve one's enemies, and to forgive always, always, over and over, as God has forgiven each one of us, all of which not only Jesus taught, but he did, he lived, he modeled, he exemplified, he embodied until and through his dying breath on behalf of a humanity who threw stones at him and drove nails into his wrists and feet. At the beginning of Mark's gospel, Jesus publicly announced that the sins of this paralyzed man, a man had been paralyzed his whole life, Jesus announced uh, publicly that that man's sin and sins had been forgiven, that they were forgiven, that he was forgiving them, that man, right there, right then. And some religious curmudgeons were kind of hanging around on the edges of the crowd, and they objected, they protested vehemently. You can't do that. You can't forgive that man's sin. 
Only God can do that. Who do you think you are? To which Jesus replied, so that you will know that I have the authority to forgive, even to forgive, to do what only we agree God can do. God can rightfully do. I will cause this man to walk so that you will know beyond a shadow of doubt that I have the authority to forgive I will cause this man to walk. And he said to the man, get up, take your mat and go home. And the man got up and walked. And God in and through Jesus Christ desires the same. He desires to do the same sorts of things for you and for me, in you and in me, in me to forgive sins. Carl Menninger, he was the founder of the famous uh, psychiatric hospital, the Menninger Clinic. And he said that if all of the patients in the hospital at any given time could be assured that they were simply forgiven, that they would be forgiven, that forgiveness was available, that they would be forgiven, he said that 50% of them could get up and walk out of the door and be discharged that very day, that moment. And God in and through Jesus desires to do the same for us and in us. He desires to do those kinds of things in me and in you, to forgive our sins, to heal our wounds, to reconcile us with our enemies, to heal a broken and angry and hurt and fighting world. And this, among other things, so vastly distinguishes Jesus from the others in the menagerie and from everyone and anyone who has ever lived before or after. Jesus is not just yard art. I, I, I'm, I'm, the yard art's growing on me. But he is not just yard art. Though someone from another planet may get that impression where they'd land on my street or in our culture at this time of year. The members of the Christmas menagerie are fun, mostly fun. Grinch, I don't know how fun. He, yeah, borderline. And I don't know about that scary night guy at the end. Mostly fun and entertaining, in many ways harmless, but there's only one among them who has come from God the Father, only one who has spoken God's words, only one who has loved lavishly, only one who has looked deep into our hearts, only one who has loved the people of the whole world so much that he gave his life for those people, including us, only one who wills good news for the poor and freedom from oppression, only one who can change the world today and forever, and who one way or another, sooner or later, fully intends to do so bringing about God's good and loving reign everywhere and in everyone. So go ahead and uh, decorate your house or your home, your walls, your front door, your table, your body, yourself. Sort of decorate it all and enjoy and just soak in uh, kind of all of the stuff that goes on during this Christmas season, really. Most of it's fine and good and lovely and isn't going to do any harm. So dig in, jump in, enjoy those kind of things and even this kind of thing. But do not forget, do not overlook, do not, be, uh, do not allow to be lost on you. The one who loves the world, who loves every one of us, who loved his enemies, who came to turn the world upside down to heal our hurts, the one who created you, the one who sustains us, the one who redeems and redeems and redeems. 
the one who offers us life in his name and life abundance. Throughout the rest of the year, may he and our lives be most highly loved, honored, and worshiped, adored, and followed, and followed. And may those who do so experience his joy, great joy in that. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. There is so much to enjoy about the Christmas season, God. To pull out of the boxes, to enjoy with friends and family and strangers, uh, to put up and to uh, eat and to celebrate and to watch and to do and just to enjoy. We thank you for those celebrations of our culture and the way they enrich this season for us. But don't allow those things, God. Save us from getting lost in them. Save us from distractions in as much as they may cause us to lose sight of your coming in Christ to love and to heal and to relieve oppression and to care for the poor and the needy in our midst. We want to participate in that world, God. And so we ask that you would bring it about by your grace Help us to be the sort of people who eagerly wait and watch for such opportunities, for advances of your kingdom, for your infiltration into our hearts. And give us the grace and the courage and the love to respond accordingly. You are so good, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we worship you. Amen.